It's tough when you have to make a choice between two things that you love. Um, I remember a time when my wife was pregnant with our first, and she was going through random cravings, as many uh, preg pregnant women have. And there was this one craving uh, that she had that came at a very a really inconvenient time where I had to make a tough choice. Uh, it was almost midnight on a weekday, and Sarah said, I'm really craving tacos um, at midnight. And um, this was back in 2008, uh, when there was no Yelp. That didn't exist. You know, and the only places you knew were actually the ones that you've been to or, some, or you've heard from someone. And so the only Mexican spot that we knew of was that was open at 12 a.m. was in Chicago proper. And we lived in the northwest suburbs of Chicago at that time, which is 45 minutes away from that uh, taco spot. So at the time, mind you, it was midnight. Um, I logically asked, will you still be awake uh, an hour and a half from now if I go get these tacos? <laughs> And this became the tension, right? This became the tension. Um, this choice of satisfying my pregnant wife's craving, who I love, versus the comfort of staying home and not wasting an hour and a half driving only to come back at 1.30 a.m. where she might be sleeping. And then, you know, if she eats them in the morning, they're not fresh. And will that all be for naught? Um, that was the choice that I had at that time between my two loves, my wife and my comfort. And lo and behold, this was not my greatest moment as a husband. I failed miserably. I chose my comfort. I made every excuse possible so I didn't have to drive for those 90 minutes in the middle of the night. I wish I had Yelp back then because years later, we realized there's this really great Mexican spot that was 10 minutes away. Um, and we didn't even know about it until later on, until someone told us. Uh, all that to say, I chose poorly that night. <laughs> we all make choices every day to decide between this or that. Whether it's choosing what to wear or choosing what to eat, it's just part of our lives to make choices. And often what we choose on a given day, it points to just what we want, right, in a given moment. Whether it's, um, you know, wh whether it is food or whether it is just something that you want to go on a walk or stay inside. And I would say even sometimes these choices really points to what we love or what our heart really desires. And the choice that we make doesn't just point to love that we have in a given moment. It can really re reveal about what's inside of us, what we really want, and even what we worship deep within our hearts. And this is what Joshua here is addressing in this final chapter of his book. He gives this final charge to God's people, addressing this tension within the human heart of what it means when we say, I have chosen God. I have chosen him. And Joshua challenges us that choosing God, the Yahweh that we've been talking about throughout this book of the scriptures, to choose him means to serve him, 
To choose God means to serve him. And this, I think this notion of serving God is very common language in the church, right? We, we always talk about serving God. Where are you serving? Oh, I'm serving in this ministry. We, we use it very loosely and flippantly. But what I want to do is break it down a bit more to understand what Joshua meant when he challenges God's people to serve him, that you've chosen him and you've chosen to serve him. And though there's a lot to talk about here, I just want to hone in and look at two things that Joshua addresses uh, in this final chapter. And the first being that in choosing God, it means to serve God exclusively. It means to serve God exclusively. Starting at verse 14, Joshua addresses what it means to serve him exclusively. He says, or we read in verse 14, starting verse 14, he says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell. Joshua is saying that to choose Yahweh, to choose God, is to serve him exclusively. That is, in sincerity and faithfulness. And that involves putting away other gods, renouncing loyalty to other deities and exclusively serve Yahweh. You see, understanding this context, prior to the revelation of Yahweh to Abraham in Genesis 12, the, it says there, the people that live beyond the river, the Euphrates River, that's mentioned, that was mentioned there in verse 14. That's where Abraham was from. It was in, in Mesopotamia. And he's talking about, he also addresses that people that were living in, in Egypt and the, the gods that they, they were serving there. See, in these regions, it was common practice for the people there to worship many gods. And so the ancestry, even prior to Abraham of the Israelites, uh, they were polytheists. They all um, believed and worshipped many gods. And this was the practice of people, all people in the ancient Near East. And so I think some of us, we tend to think about when Abraham, you know, when he introduced the people of God to monotheism, which is the belief in uh, worshiping only one God, that introducing that, the result of that was that polytheism died out for God's people. But that was not the case for the Israelites. It actually continued to persist among them. That's why we saw that tendency happen when we were back in Joshua chapter 7 with Achan, how we wanted, he stole these things and th stole these objects that were objects of, of idolatry, of another God. And so that problem was actually still internalized even within God's people. And so in practice at that time, gods, if you were to be introduced to one, they were simply added to the gods that you already believed in. But when it came to the God of scriptures, when it came to Yahweh, that would not be the case. If you remember the first commandment that he gave his people was, does anyone know? It's all good. I'm not going to judge you. Um, you shall have no other gods before me, right? We know that as his first command. Joshua said later, um, as we read earlier in verse 19, that Yahweh is a jealous God. 
He is a jealous God. He is to be served exclusively. And God's people are not to serve other foreign gods. Now, I actually think it's important to understand what is involved actually when we when, that when they serve a foreign god in the ancient Near East, because we want to understand that context and see, does that actually translate to us today? How they went about serving gods in the ancient Near East. You see, back then, and I would say even in different cultures today around the world, they believed that gods had tasks and roles in the cosmos. And people believed that there was a body of gods uh, that supervised the cosmos, and each of them had authority over the destinations of both divine and human worlds. And so they perceived gods to have the ability to control natural phenomena, uh, thunderstorms, floods, uh, agricultural plagues, extreme heat, extreme cold, uh, fertility, uh, sudden death, and, and so on. And, and they believed that each one of these phenomena was controlled by a god, by a different god. And so this is why people in the ancient Near East served multiple gods, many gods. Every single weather condition was a god that had authority, and so they served them. And how they would do that is that they would, they would create an image that, ref, that uh, represented who the god was, whether it was an idol or a statue, and they would craft them with their own hands. Either they mold them or carve them out of wood. And they would literally, to serve them, would be to care for it, this object. They would, they would, um, they would do things like they would wake it up in the morning. They would wash it. They would clothe it. They would present meals to serve to these to these, to these um, objects, to these idols, and even put it to bed at night. And so they would literally care for it, addressing the perceived needs that they felt that God had so that, in turn, they hoped that they would be able to control or manipulate the environment so that they would succeed in life. So they would have the conditions for their, their life to flourish, their, their plants to, to flourish. And so some of these foreign gods, they really did call for such, I'll just say, perverted rituals at times to perform. We'll keep it PG here, but the, the rituals, some of them were very rated R. And probably the most horrifying being the offer of child sacrifice to these gods. They think if they offer their children, sacrifice them, that would, the gods would do their bidding because of that selflessness that would be involved to do that. And so people believe that serving and giving offerings can influence the gods to do their bidding. But in pleasing them, uh, they believe the gods would bring protection and success in their life. At the same time, any misstep for that worshiper could bring anger to the god, making them vulnerable to the misfortunes of their future. So I think it's important to kind of have that understanding that serving these foreign gods involved giving their time, their resources, their care, so that the gods would provide the security of their future, the success needed for their future. So being an agrarian society, it was so important for them to serve, to give, to care for these gods. Because 
They believed they had authority. If they submit themselves, they would get what they wanted. They can manipulate and secure the future they wanted. Now, does this way of serving foreign gods still apply to us today? Obviously, in our day and in our country, it's rare to see someone have a carved object or something where they're actually caring for them as if they're real people. But at the heart of it, at the heart of serving a foreign god, is to really have a commitment to rely on and trust in something to give you the security and success needed to ensure a happy and fulfilling life. That's really at the heart of it, right? You're relying on something. You're committed to rely on, to trust in something to give you that security and success that you want in your life. You value it. You spend money on it. You devote time and energy. In essence, you, you worship it to give you security and success. So let's think about this for a moment. What do you rely on and trust in for, to give you security? Take a moment to think about that. Maybe it's not something, or maybe it's someone, or the idea of someone. Uh, maybe you fully rely on and trust in your spouse or your family or the idea of having someone uh, to give you the security that your heart wants. Uh, maybe the financial security, the emotional security. And you rely on them for that to be met within your heart. Or, you know, and, and though I would say that there isn't inherently anything wrong with family or people being that tangible expression of love and security, uh, they can become a god when you rely on them significantly more than God himself to meet your needs. That's when it becomes a god. You need their love more than you need God. Or, let me ask you this, what do you rely on and trust in to give you success? What does that look like for you? Maybe you rely on and trust in education itself, getting a degree from a reputable school or a certain school or getting certified in your field. That if you don't get into that school or if you don't have the credentials, you won't have the career that you want. You won't get the job that you really want. And so you allow that to have authority, putting your, believing that this will get me what I want, what my heart wants. Or maybe you trust in your connections or your, your network or an institution that they will do their part so that you will climb that ladder of success. You see, all of these can function as other gods that if we trust in it to play a significant role, even giving authority to it to help us achieve the success that we want that our hearts desires, you see, we are, we're letting that be a god. We're giving resources to it letting that play a significant role more than God himself. But I would say this. I would say the primary God, or other God, we find ourselves serving today is ourselves. It's ourselves. Serving other gods today is no longer something we look to on the outside like they were doing here in the ancient Near East. It has shifted from the outside to the self. 
to the self. We have become our own God that we serve. So many of us rely on and trust in ourselves. We, we are our own abilities, my work ethic. I don't need outside help. You devote time and energy and trust in the power of your own will to get what you want out of life. You see, when we rely and trust in ourselves more than a reliance and trust in God for the security and success, we have made ourselves into a God. And I would say, like the struggle that Joshua has in mind here for the Israelites, and as well as just for the pe people in the ancient Near East had, we can simply just want to add God, want to add him on as another God to serve, but continue to serve other gods, prim primarily ourselves. We want to serve ourselves and add God, God to that. So you can pursue security. You can pursue uh, success on your own terms. Uh, you serve your needs that you want, but also, in addition, serve God. Go to church. I tie. I give to others' needs. I volunteer. I serve the church. Aren't these all, the, all these things that please God? But could it be that we have simply added Yahweh as another God? Added him as another God that we serve while we primarily serve ourselves as God. Joshua said, put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Put away the God of self and serve Yahweh exclusively. That means that we rely on and trust in God alone to give us security, to rely and trust in God alone to give us success that he defines, not the other way around. So how does this look practically to serve God exclusively? I think verse 23 helps us here um, to understand what this entails. He says, he, meaning Joshua said, and put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Incline your heart to the Lord. The, the heart in the scriptures is the center of emotion. It's the center of the will. It's the center of thinking. It encompasses your whole being. And so that phrase, incline your heart to the Lord, means to, to yield, to surrender your heart, your whole being to the Lord. And so verse 24 after that gives us an understanding of how in, the Israelites saw what serving meant. It says in verse 24, and the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. And so to serve God exclusively is to obey his voice, meaning that we obey his commands in scripture. Commands like love your neighbor as yourself. Commands like let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. To make disciples. These are commands that we see in Scripture that God himself gives us that reflect ultimately his character through our lives. That's what obedience is. 
It's to reflect who he is. Because these are beautiful things about our beautiful God. To love people more than self. The selflessness of God. To let to to do good deeds, being a light to the world by caring for the common good of this world is to shine God's light. When we serve God, when we fully rely and trust in God by obeying his commands, when we do that, in in doing that, that is our true success. That we can actually then become secure because He will be faithful to his people as we are obedient to him. So both security and success are all there in obedience. Because as we obey, we succeed in God's eyes. And we know that he is with us so we can be secure no matter what. No matter what financial troubles we may find ourselves in, we know that he will be faithful. And there's a trust there. That is a reliance that goes beyond our self making that happen. You know, um, I wrestle through these things as well. This, you know, and, and I think these, it, it, it differs from person to person. Because I think some of us, in terms of when it comes to what we, um, what we rely on and trust in, what we want and what our hearts desires, it differs. Some people serve their desire for power. Others serve their desire for recognition. We, we serve this about ourselves. But for me, I'm naturally to... I'm naturally driven to serve my uh, desire to attain security. That definitely is the biggest one. Security, which connects to comfort. Um, that is what I think ends up driving my inner heart in most of my decision-making. And as I shared earlier, it was my wife or comfort. You know, it's like, that's not for everybody. But that was definitely even then a, a revelation of, what is actually driving uh, myself. And so I naturally worry about financials. I worry about making sure that we have enough. These are things that consume um, my heart. I worry about making sure that my kids have opportunities to better, you know, so that they can develop their gifts and better grow into themselves as we're discovering who God has made them to be. But to serve God exclusively is to rely and trust in God regardless of these things that make me feel secure, regardless of not owning a home, regardless of not being able to keep up with the Joneses so that my kids have an edge over people. As I strive to be a better dad and husband before God, as I strive to be a better pastor, that cares for others, as I strive to care about what is right and just and engage in this world to bear witness of him, knowing that this is obedience must keep shaping my definition of success and that trust as I, as I, as I obey that I can still, I, I am succeeding and will be secure in him as he provides for my daily bread. You see, it's reshaping. You have to reshape by your obedience and reshape your understanding of success and security. That's how I'm trying, striving, not perfect, but striving to serve God exclusively.
What might that shift be for you to prioritize serving him in obedience? Maybe it's to learn what Jesus' commands in Scripture. Maybe some of us, we, we don't know because we're not really trying to fill our minds with the things that he commands us to do. We let that be just something we hear, you know, on Sundays. But don't let it sink in your mind or you don't read and engage in Scripture. That's why we have the Scriptures, to understand his words, to obey his voice. Maybe we have, that's something that uh, you, you have to uh, put your head around. Maybe you need to reflect on what am I driven by? What God am I serving? Or what within me am I serving? You see, when we choose God, when we choose Yahweh, when we choose to serve him, it means that we obey his commands. That's what it means to serve him exclusively. But to serve him exclusively um, can't be done unless, secondly, and this point will be much shorter, um, to serve him exclusively can't be done unless it is a genuine response to what God has done. Unless it's a genuine response to what God has done. To serve him is a response to what God has done for you. You see, before, we read starting at verse 14, but before he gives that challenge in verse 14, the first 13 verses of the, of the chapter, Joshua speaks on behalf of uh, the Lord, reminding the Israelites of what he has done. And uh, I'm going to read through this because God is very intentional in reminding them how he has been present and faithful from the very beginning, from Abraham to them, how he has been at work. And it's, we want to be able to see the language that God is using here. So starting at verse 2, it says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, uh, a, uh, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt and what I did, uh, with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. He did, he, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And when you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, 
and I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet nest before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by their, your bow. I gave you a land on which you did not, you had not labored in cities that you had not built. And you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. See, it's not hard to see here what God is trying to emphasize with his people. He is simply saying, look what I have done for you and your people. And so that's why Joshua responds as we started in verse 14. He said, now, therefore, in light of all those verses, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in those whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Very famous lines of Joshua there. In response to what God has done for them, Joshua is basically saying, I don't know about you, but after all we've witnessed, I'm going to serve the Lord. And if somehow you see this as evil, you know, that's on you. <laughs> but I am going to serve this God that has done so much for us. And we see how the people respond in verse 16. It says, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that, they went, that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples and the Amorites who lived in the land, Therefore, we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Very similar to what Joshua said. For both of them, for Joshua and the Israelites, they choose to serve the Lord in response to what they have experienced God do on their behalf. Very simple point that's trying to be made here. The faithful God of their forefathers is the faithful God that they experienced themselves and have witnessed. And they choose to serve Yahweh. They choose to serve God in response to this personal reality they've had with God. And so I think it's worth dwelling on why Joshua and the people choose to serve God. That it really is a response to God's Faithfulness to them firsthand, firsthand for all that he has done to bring them where they are. Because when it comes to asking ourselves why we serve God, do we serve God as a genuine response to experiencing his firsthand work in our lives? Is that us? Is it a response to how faithful time and time again he has been with, with me? 
Is it a response to the gospel, a response to the fact that we have experienced God's forgiveness in Christ and seeing how we've offended God with our pride and how we've hurt others with our selfishness? Is it a response to that, that he continues to be faithful? He continues to remind us that we are forgiven in Christ. Do we serve him out of a response to that personal reality? Is that how it is? For you, brothers and sisters, do you serve God in response to your personal experience with him? Or is serving God simply you do it because this is all you've known to do for some of you? You, you know, you think, aren't, isn't, just, isn't it what we're supposed to do? This is, this is what we do. We, 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 we serve we give ourselves. We give our time. Um, or maybe you simply serve God because you know that it's you know that's good to serve, and you know doesn't that please God when I serve? So it's almost like as if as I'm doing these things, I'm, I'm I'm getting points right with God. I remember a, a brother that used to always take me out for for lunch, and he'd always pay, but he'd always say, "Get those points right." <laughs> I'd be like. Thanks, guy. You know, just trying to be appreciative at the same time. It's like wondering what goes on in our heads, right? That's a service, but it's almost like, is it, is it out of a, a different reality? <laughs> that it's not necessarily out of a response, out of the, of the way God has worked within us. Well, we see time and time again in the scriptures, and genuine believers is that, Serving God is a response to how God has made himself known through his faithfulness to us. That we are witnesses, that we have experienced that reality of his work. And so that's why we can say, like the Israelites, far be it from us that we would forsake the Lord and serve other gods. Far be it from us that we would serve ourselves more than God. Far be it from us. He has shown himself to me. He has shown up in my life. I've experienced his faithfulness, his forgiveness. Far be it from me that I would serve other things. Why would I do that for what he has done? For them, they weren't just these stories in scriptures. They weren't just stories. But they were there, it, was this, there, it was their own reality. They've witnessed God's mighty work among them. They've experienced God himself. So when you experience God firsthand, whether he reveals himself through scripture or through other people and affects you, this is the natural response. You don't just say, oh, that's nice. You know, I think some of us just see it, like, oh, that's great. But if, if it is a reality, then it becomes a reason why we serve God and give ourselves to God exclusively. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like when um, you connect yourself to a sports team. Um, living here in San Francisco the, over the past eight years, one of the questions I get quite often is, have I become a Warriors fan yet? Um, are you a Giant, Giants fan, a Niners fan? Look, another run, another run for the Warriors. Are you a fan yet? Believe in this team? Um, obviously, if you see what I'm wearing outside of a Sunday, <laughs> You know that most of my clothes are, are pretty much all Chicago sports gear. 
<laughs> whether it's bulls, cubs, bears, or blackhawks, black it rotates as the sports season changes. But for me to switch over, to convert my soul to San Francisco sports, <laughs> that would mean to not remember all the experiences I had watching my Chicago sports teams. You see, to me, choosing to love a team is more than just an issue of where you live. It's tied to experiences. It's tied to good memories. Experiences uh, with my family and with my neighbors, my city. Literally, at times, um, we'd set up TVs in our house, invite the whole block over. It's playoff time. Bulls are back in. And it would be 20, 30 people at our house in different rooms, in the backyard, all of us cheering for our team. And I have these memories of just deep joy and, and camaraderie connected to that. It's tied to learning the termination as a kid from Michael Jordan. Um, my room growing up was filled with posters and articles and uh, just magazine cutouts and whatever I saw in the newspaper. If I saw a picture of Michael Jordan, I'm going to cut it out and put the whole article and paste it on my wall. And my whole room was filled with Michael Jordan paraphernalia. I wish I kept all that. It could be worth a lot right now, but what do you know as a kid? You're just like, ah, oh, this, this is awesome. He's the best. He's a killer instinct, you know, and you just, you're driven by that, that determination, that work ethic. It's tied to being able to love someone that I used to hate, like Dennis Rodman. Um, <laughs> it's weird, you know, Bulls Pistons, again, history, 80s, bad boys. Chicago hates Rodman. And now he's on our team, you know, it was like, ah, that tension. But you learn how to do that. You know, as a kid, those are the things, you know, I wasn't much of a church person when I was young. But these are the things that I was connected to. And, it, it, and so this, this idea of experiences, I'm, I'm tied to them. They're, they're, they're not just a team from a city. That I'm tied to them firsthand with experiences. And so I can't abandon them no matter where I go. Because in, and no matter how bad they're doing, and it's been a long stretch of being bad, but no matter what, my loyalty goes to them because it's a response to my experience. Can't help it. And with that goes to say that we, if we have truly, that's just a team. If we have truly experienced God in our lives, then you will genuinely respond to serve him. Can't help it. It's a reality. What is your experience with God? Is it personal like the Israelites? When is it, is it real that when you, is it you serving God as a response to something that you've experienced with him and his faithfulness? And so maybe today for you, you need to remember his faithfulness. Maybe you need to remember that you're forgiven. Or maybe today you realize that, man, you know, I don't know if I've ever really relied on God for anything. Uh, maybe today you need to invite God into your situation that he might work in you. And this is a new step for you to trust in his faithfulness and give him the space to work. Or maybe today you need to believe that he has actually forgiven you in Christ. Maybe you're still wracked with guilt 
Maybe the way that you've offended God, but maybe the way you've hurt others through sin and brokenness within you. You need to invite him to ask for him for forgiveness so that he can heal you today. You see, when we experience God genuinely, serving him is a response to that work. And we can be faithful to that work to the very end. And that's what we actually see actually in verse 31. We didn't get to read, but it's such a beautiful response that we see. It says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Such a beautiful ending that the reason that they served all their days is because they had known, they had experienced all of the work that the Lord did. And so brothers and sisters, do you know God like this? Maybe today God is asking you to invite him into your life, invite him into situations so that you might experience his faithfulness, to rely on him, to really rely on him and trust him with your life. Have you chosen Yahweh as your God? Have you chosen Jesus as your Lord? If so, that means that you've chosen to serve him exclusively. It means that it is a, that you, we serve him out of a response for what he has done in your life. Brothers and sisters, let's reflect on that today. Reflect on if you are still God in your life or that it's been just more of a dutiful life as a, as a Christian. Let's invite God to give us the grace that we need to surrender to him and ask Christ to do that work in our hearts. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you just for walking us through Joshua. And Lord, as we see throughout this book, the way that you've intervened, the way that you've shown yourself faithful, the way that you pushed your people to trust you. God, I pray that you would give us the grace to let that be true of us too because you are the God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You call us to the same reliance. You call us to the same trust. And though it may look different, we're invited to experience you in the same ways through your spirit. God, help us. Draw us. Help us reflect on if we are serving you, or if we're just serving ourselves. Help us to see if we're just added you on as we continue to serve ourselves as God. Help us to even ask ourselves, have I really experienced your grace? Is it a real thing in my life? Or, and invite you today to, to do that work in our hearts. God, we ask for your help. We ask for your guidance so that we can be your people that serves just like the Israelites to the very end. Serve you, share with you, help raise generations after us to know you because we know you. God, let that be true. Guide us to that end. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.